I wonder what the, the biggest fence, wall or barrier is that you've ever seen. Perhaps one of the biggest walls in the world is the Great Wall of China. I visited it, not all 4,000 miles I hasten to add, but I have flown over it. And it's huge. At certain parts it's 30 foot thick, or as Jim would say, 30 feet thick. It's huge. And it was originally built to keep out invaders, for that is what walls and barriers do, keep people out. However big the Great Wall of China is, there is one barrier that is even bigger, just as it was for ancient Israel, it is for us today. The biggest barrier to exist is the one that separates God from his creation. This barrier is holiness. For God is a holy God and people are inherently not. The prophet Ezekiel gives a vivid, by the way, Ezekiel is my favourite prophet. I don't know what he was on, but some of those dreams. And here he gives a, a vivid picture of the holiness of God. And he describes it as a fire, a bright light, radiance full of glory and majesty. If that is what holiness is, I wonder what you think sin is. Sin is a heavy burden. Sin is also like a toxic virus of the soul and it affects every person. It's more deadly than Ebola, HIV and Spanish flu put together. And sin inevitably leads to death and sin is anti-God. Sin is disobedience of God. Sin is also not doing what is right. With God there is no big or small sin. Sin size is a human construct. However, um, some sins do cause God to grieve more than others. And if only people uh, declared holy can enter God's presence, how are we made holy? How can we, as mortal, unholy, sinful people, enter into the presence of God and live? What does atonement, if anything, mean for us in the 21st century? The best commentary on Leviticus chapter 16 that you can find is found in the book of Hebrews, and it's chapters 9 and 10. You can do that as your homework this week, if you like. But if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and I will read verses 14 to 18 for you, talking about Jesus. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus Christ is our scapegoat 
and takes the immense burden of our sins on himself. When from the cross he cried, Father, why have you forsaken me? That was when he was separated from his father. That was when he was in the desert like that goat. As for Aaron, Aaron was a type of servant king, but Jesus was the ultimate servant king. Aaron, as chief priest, offered sacrifices for the cleansing of sin, but Jesus Christ himself was both the sacrifice and the chief priest. Jesus Christ became sin, and we see the annually repeated day of atonement becoming the unique day of Calvary as Jesus' death is an atoning and substitutionary sacrifice which makes amends to God for the sins of the world. Jesus alone gives life and offers life to the full, a life born from grace and not from law. I'm sure Jim was expecting me to, to uh, go into whether the, I think the sacrifice was an expiation or a propitiation. Oh, you were... <laughs> but I'm not <laughs> at the time of Jesus' death the curtain in the holy of holies in the temple was torn from top to bottom this was to symbolise that access to God was now open the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin as God never wanted sacrifices in the first place God desired obedience over sacrifice all the time. The sacrifices of Leviticus were only in place because the ancient Israelites sinned. They were disobedient towards God and his desires. God wanted obedience and obedience as we know goes on to give praise to almighty God and gives testimony to his goodness. Full joy. Let's now quickly compare the Levitical sacrifices and Jesus sacrifices before Bruce gives me a kick. The Levitical sacrifices, they were performed repeatedly by earthly priests who stood. Their work was unending as they uh, laboured on earth and their sacrifices could never take away sin. Then there was Jesus' sacrifice. He offered one sacrifice. Jesus now sits at God's right hand in power and glory with his earthly work now complete. His sacrifice achieved its goal of fulfilment and made his followers holy. At the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary, the old covenant was fulfilled and the new covenant ushered in. This new covenant assures those who follow Jesus Christ that they have forgiveness, they have peace, they're reconciled to God, they're declared right and just before God, they're cleansed from sin, they're free from the slavery to sin, they're free from the power of the devil. They're given the spirit to dwell inside them and they're granted direct access to God the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And with his own blood, rather than that of an animal, Jesus Christ became the only atoning sacrifice that is perfectly acceptable to God. And it's only by his blood that was shed on Calvary that makes people holy. While the Levitical sacrifices were needed to be done over and over and over again, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was a once and for all ultimate sacrifice, never to be repeated. 
and because of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and the subsequent resurrection, we have access to God and we have been declared holy and innocent, but only if we've made a conscious decision to follow him and him alone. Perfect holiness has been revealed in Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you're a Christian here, you have been declared holy because you now wear Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness. It was given to you as a gift of grace. That is because of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. Jesus Christ has broken down the barrier of holiness between God and humanity once and for all by his sacrificial death. That's why we celebrate Jesus' death around the communion table, as we did this morning. And that's why the bread and the wine can only be symbols of his flesh and his blood. If the bread and the wine did actually turn into his flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, as some churches proclaim, then surely we would be sacrificing Jesus all over again. And if you're a Christian, you are declared holy. And therefore, you and I are to live a holy life, a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, we have the the Holy Spirit living within us, changing and transforming us into the very image of the Holy One. Your transformation into that image of Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence, not only of the work of the Spirit, but also of you being a Christian, living an obedient life to God. As a Christian, you are no longer an enemy of God, but a friend of God and belong to God. He will take care of you. As Christians, we are to live a life of obedience to God, casting off all that will hinder and seeks to stop us. Resisting temptation. Telling old hairy legs to go get on wax and get lost. And if we fall into disobedience, we can confess our sin to the Father through the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit. God is Trinity. And get right back up again, knowing we are forgiven. Totally amazing grace. Nothing we can do. And as Christians, we're called to be joyfully obedient to the Lord, serving Him in every aspect of life. And in doing so, our whole lives will be acceptable worship to God and not just on a a Sunday meeting like this or a midweek meeting. Our worship, like the ancient Israelites, is to be a lifestyle of conscious decisions, reflecting our devotion to a God with whom we are to be in a dynamic and intimate relationship with, and who lives within you. How often do we take that for granted when we forget who we are, that the Holy Spirit, one part of the Trinity, is within each of us. And as instruments in God's orchestra of joy, we are to be loyal to him, the joy giver. We are to obey with that joyful, effervescent, lively vigour and reflect the living God to a society out there which is in darkness and doesn't even know that it's in darkness. They will know we are Christians by the way we act. Actions of obedience to a God signified by the love we have for each other and for them. Love in action by supplying people's needs, both on an individual and community basis. We are called to follow God and not to succumb to the temptations which seek 
to, to mar and ruin our relationship with the God who lives inside us. Go into this week to obey and serve the Lord with faithful obedience and joy. Thank you.